This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Emily Murphy, the General Services Administration's Administrator. Emily, always great to catch up. Thanks for joining me. Always fun to be with you. We're going to talk a lot of different things and kind of, a, we'll call this, sadly enough, maybe an exit interview of sorts. But before we get started down the path of your legacy and time at GSA, I got to ask the, the burning question that everyone wants to know. And, and this is obviously about ascertainment. This was a, a obviously a, not an easy decision in many regards, but just discuss that a little bit if you can. And as you were making that decision, what were some of those considerations? I think there's a lot of, obviously, interest, <laughs> to say the least about it. What went through your mind? Walk me through, if you can, a little bit about the process. Ascertain means to determine with certainty. So as a threshold matter, it's important to note that as the administrator, I wasn't picking or certifying the winner of the presidential election. Instead, it's the administrator's role under the Presidential Transition Act to determine with certainty what resources and services should be made available to the apparent successful candidate uh, to assist in the event of a presidential transition. The actual winner of the presidential election is clearly determined by the electoral process outlined uh, detailed in the Constitution. And looking back to over the history of the Presidential Transition Act, in 13 of the 15 elections since that law was passed, a concession was made promptly after the election, which made ascertainment of the apparent winner a very simple administrative exercise. The one exception to that was in 2000. And in 2000, ascertainment wasn't made until after a concession was made. And that concession didn't come until about six weeks after the election. And there was considerable controversy around the delay in 2000 although I don't think that the administrator then had a better option, which that then leaves the question, can an election outcome be apparent, can it be determined with certainty, if the candidates themselves don't agree on the outcome? And if the answer to that is yes, then the question then becomes, what is the fact pattern? What evidence is necessary to make that ascertainment? So I was looking at what states were doing. States don't announce their official results until the votes are certified. And that generally doesn't happen for several weeks after the election. So I didn't believe that it was my place to decide what challenges and recounts had merit. So I waited for key developments involving certifications of the election results and certain legal challenges to receive initial rulings. That didn't happen until November 23rd. As soon as it happened, I wrote my ascertainment letter. And as I wrote in that letter, I strongly encourage Congress to consider amendments to the Presidential Transition Act. I know that Jerry Connolly had a hearing last week and he agrees that some amendments are necessary. So I, I hope that they will do a better job of defining that process in the future. It seems to me, as you described your process, 
because the states, as you said, were not making decisions, because there's a lot of recounts going on, you, it seems to me you felt like you needed some certainty yourself to then can move forward with releasing some of the transition resources. And until then, you were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in many ways, because there was some uncertainty. And, and then, as I've heard, you can't ascertain twice. That's correct. It, it is a one and done. And I wanted a sufficient or an appropriate facts to point to so that, that it really was a determination with certainty as to who the apparent winner was. And as I said, that I didn't believe that that happened until November 23rd. There was a lot of discussion about ascertainment. I'm sure you heard it or couldn't help but hearing it. Walk me through a little bit of how you dealt with the noise that came from it. Because it's obvious there was pressure from one side of the aisle saying she should do it right away. And the other side of the aisle saying she should be smart about it and, and wait and see what happens. How'd you kind of deal with that, that noise? So every morning I got up, I looked in the mirror and committed that I was going to do what was right. I was going to follow the law. And until it was appropriate to ascertain, I wasn't going to ascertain. I was going to just keep being the administrator of GSA and do my job. And so, you know, spent every day just committed to, to following the law. How difficult or how much pressure did you feel? Could you quantify in some way? Was, was it a situation that I mean, you, you knew it was coming in some ways? I mean, it was, it was unclear that this was going to be an easy decision, but did, did you prepare yourself for it in some way? I want, I want to be absolutely clear about this. And I put it in my ascertainment letter. No one from the White House, no one from GSA, pressured me on the decision. It was my decision and my decision alone. And I, so I, I, I want to be really clear on that. Did I do my homework? Yes. I looked at, I talked to Administrator Barham, who had been the administrator in 2000. I read the, the history of the 1963 Presidential Transition Act. I read the floor debates for the Transition Act. So I made sure that I knew what the law was and what guidance existed in the law and, you know, and committed that I was going to follow the law. I know it's a big relief that it's done. Just give me a quick sense of what's happening today. How is GSA supporting the transition? The night that I ascertained, OMB apportioned $6.3 million for the services and salaries of the Biden-Harris transition team, and an additional million dollars for appointee operation orientation, I should say, and training. So our post-elect services for the transition team are taking place at the same location as the pre-elect services over at the Department of Commerce headquarters. The ascertainment allows us to provide a little bit more space, some additional IT services, and there's a SCIF available to the team in that location. I know the agency review teams are engaging with the agencies and the inaugural preparations are underway. So everything seems to be going really well. Next for Emily Murphy, we know you don't, you're, you don't have a new job. I can almost guarantee that. I know there's probably some vacation, well-deserved vacation in there, but do you expect to stay in the federal community? Until January 20th, I am focused on being the administrator. And so, yep, uh, that's been my focus. The next step is indeed a vacation. And then my parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary next year. So I'm looking forward to celebrating that with them. And then I'm going to take some time and really focus on how and where can I make the greatest contribution? I do love the federal space. I've spent the last 25 years in that space, almost 26 years in that space. 
and I want to find some place where I'm going to be able to make a contribution and I'll figure that out next. One piece of advice you'd give to the next GSA administrator, whoever he or she may be? The advice I give to anyone coming into federal space to begin with is focus on three things you want to get done. Now I said, I said that and I came up with four. Make sure you understand that in the private sector, you can do whatever you want to do as long as it's not illegal. In the federal space, you need to make sure you've got the authorization to let you do it. And then remain focused on those goals and, you know, and make sure you've got data and transparency into them. GSA has amazing employees and they will get the work done, but there's so many things going on that you can't be micromanaging each and every one of them. So, you know, figure out where you're going to spend your time and energy and enjoy it because it's a chance to make a difference unlike any other that I've experienced. And I wish them nothing but the best and the greatest success. And your phone line is always open. Just give you a couple of months to uh, decompress. I know that. My phone line is always open to that. And I have talked to almost all of my predecessors, you know, over the years because it's a small community, but it's also, you know, GSA isn't an agency where we pull 180s. Our issues tend not to be partisan issues. Everyone's in favor of good government. Everyone's in favor of, you know, of trying to increase competition. We may have different tactics that we want, but we all are trying to go to the same place. So whoever the next administrator is will have my full support as they try to, you know, increase competition, reduce duplication, improve transparency, provide ethical leadership. I can't imagine that they're going to, any of those things are things that people are going to reject. Let's take a quick break. My guest today is Emily Murphy, the GSA administrator. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News. Hi, this is senior correspondent Mike Causey. In Washington, we follow the money, especially since it's yours every week on your turn with Mike Causey. Whether it's your pay raise, a major change to your retirement package, or the chances of rifts or buyouts, we're on it because we know how hard you work and what it means to you. Give us a listen Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. on Federal News Network or subscribe to your turn on iTunes or Podcast One. News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is GSA Administrator Emily Murphy. Let's kind of move on to a little bit and talk, talk more broadly about some more fun stuff. Acquisition, of course, this is one of my favorite topics. Let's just start with some basics. When you came on board at GSA, when you went through your confirmation process, you outlined four goals, increasing competition, improving transparency, reducing duplication, providing ethical leadership. Why don't we run through a few of those highlights, one or two accomplishments you're most proud of in in all those areas and some of those areas. Let's look back at your legacy because uh, without a doubt, many would agree you were probably the most qualified GSA administrator in decades. I think the thing I'm proudest of is that we've saved $21.3 billion over three years and increased sales under GSA contracts by $20 billion in the same time period. And so to put that in perspective, when I left GSA in early 2007, they were doing about $40 billion a year in contracts. And by the time I rejoined GSA in 2017, that had grown to about $55 billion, so was 55 by 2018. So $15 billion over about 10 years. From 2018 to 2020, it grew another $20 billion. So I'm incredibly proud of that. And I'm incredibly proud that we've kept the people of GSA safe during the COVID pandemic. But those four goals that I set out at the beginning, 
increase in competition. Our competition rate uh, last year was above 92%. It's less than 15% of our full and open competitions only get one bid. Our small business rate was almost 46%, which exceeded our 29% target. And we're taking steps to implement Section 876 to improve competition at the task order level. So I think we've made a lot of progress on, on increasing competition. In terms of transparency, the Inform 2.0 pilot's going strong, and that's our uh, enhanced debriefings. So I think that's going to become permanent. We've expanded the federal real property profile and published that data so that everyone's got more insight into what's going on across the, the federal government's holding of property. And then one I think you'll really enjoy is we set up dashboards for each of our customer agencies. And this is originally a project that was set up for me to look at. So I could see all the ways that GSA was touching an agency at, in one place. I could see what the Federal Acquisition Service was doing, what Public Building Service was doing, what other shared services we were providing them, government policy. We then went out and we made that data available to the agencies. We had meetings with each of the agencies about it and gave them not just the top level dashboard, but all the data behind it. We let them drill down and see the numbers themselves. And we left a space blank on each of those dashboards. And we said, tell us what it is that we could be doing to help you. And we tried to be really transparent in our relationship with our customer agencies. Reducing duplication, I think the, the top one there has to be schedules consolidation. We went from 24 contracts to one. But we've also, with robotics process automation, saved 260,000 hours since 2018 which ends up being about $35 million worth of GSA employee time. And we've launched NewPay, which is going to you know, have a software as a service approach to payroll across the federal government. And then when it comes to ethical leadership, I'll go back to the very first thing I said, which was we've kept GSA employees safe during COVID. We were the first agency to go to mandatory telework. And as we've been planning our return to facilities uh, plan, we've been trying to communicate around it with our employees regularly. Um, we're actually trying to use that as an opportunity to make it easier for GSA employees in the future. So to make it easier to recruit them, to retain them, make it easier for them to work for GSA. Um, and you know, the plan we're developing, I think goes as far as to recommend about 75% of GSA employees telework. A lot to, to be proud of. Let me go back to uh, one, one piece of this. And I, I think, it's key here. People will hear numbers and say, oh, so GSA sold more or was part of contracting that, that ended up more money came through. And that makes sense because government was spending more money. But this is really goes back to customer service. It really goes back to this idea that people are finding value in GSA's products and services versus they're just giving you money because you're there. Walk me through how you really, and, and I think the dashboards play into this, really focused on that piece of customer service to ensure GSA's value is, is recognized and increases. GSA's increase of $20 billion doesn't just reflect that the government spent more money. If you look at, for example, GSA's share of IT dollars spent, it went from 21% to about 29% in those three years. So we're getting a larger market share. And I think we're doing that because we've been focused on customer loyalty, uh, supplier satisfaction, and employee satisfaction. Our fiscal 20 customer loyalty score is the highest it's been since we started tracking. To put it in perspective again, when 
when I started as administrator in fiscal 18, it was at 7.5 on a scale of out of 10. It's now at 7.9, which is really a fantastic achievement. And it's even more importantly, it's increased across all of our acquisition portfolios. And our customer satisfaction is driven by how easy it is to acquire products and services through our contracts. So the ease of acquiring scores are one that we look at really closely. And those also increased this year. And they also increased across our business lines. And so our efforts to make it easier to do business really resonated with our customers. At the same time, we've made it easier for our suppliers as well. And our FY20 supplier satisfaction score is also the highest it's been since we started tracking the metric. And it also increased across all of our acquisition portfolios. Now, part of that is probably because we gave them an extra $20 billion in market to, to work in, but also because we've been making improvements in our systems that are directly you know, address the, the complaints that our suppliers had. And then if you look at our employees, our FEV scores for 2019 were the highest they've been in the agency's history. And we don't have our 2020 scores yet. I wish we did because I'm really curious. We did a pulse survey uh, earlier this fall. And in that, we found that 93% of our employees said that they believe that managers at GSA have clearly articulated and communicated the goals and priorities of the agency. 94% of the employees agreed with the statement, my supervisor listens to what I have to say. And 95% of the employees thought we were clearly communicating and had the right protocols in place. So we're, we brought customers, suppliers, and employees all to a point where they say we're doing something right. Uh, we're putting the pieces together in the right way so that we're delivering more value than we were before. Coming into this position, it's obvious your background of having worked at GSA, having worked at SBA, having really followed the acquisition piece on the Hill. Would you say that the public building service side was the learning curve that you really faced the, the biggest area on? And it seems to be as you, know, as you talk about some of the success areas and transparency, as you highlighted, federal property profile too is, is really helpful, especially in this time of COVID. Where do people work? How many people work? How do we set up offices? All of that seems to really, uh, again, well, I'll go back to the word value, uh, add real value to GSA's interaction with agencies, and especially being, and I'll take your words, the government's landlord, which uh, is, a, is a fun term I'm sure you get to use. We've got about 370 million square feet of office space. We're not the only landlord, but we're the, we're the primary landlord. And PBS in the last three years has saved $3.55 billion in lease cost avoidance. So that's they've negotiated their leases down by over $3.5 billion. If you want to talk about competition, we were replacing about 40% of expiring leases when I became administrator. It's now over 70%. And that 70% we're replacing, we're doing so at about 12 to 13% below market rate. We've reduced our federal footprint by about 4.7 million square feet. And you know, we've been driving transparency with agencies as to where their employees are, how much they're paying per employee in that space, and then what the options are for them going forward. You know, we've been working on something called Workplace 2030, which is the idea that going forward, the right combination of space and technology and policies, so it's got to be a GSA project, it's not just a public building service project, can drive a better outcome for federal employees. They can have a better way of working. I think people 
overlook the importance of, of facilities management of, of that work that GSA does because it's not as sexy. It's not as exciting as, as awarding, you know, 500, you know, billion dollars in contracts. Not that GSA does all of that, but that that's part of that. That's how big the market is. But I, I think people care about their office space. People care about where they work. They want nice places. Mm -hmm. They want, you know, their carpets to be, you know, new or clean. They want better, you know, seats to sit in. So the, all that is, is hugely important. Let's take a quick break. My guest today is Emily Murphy, the GSA Administrator. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is GSA Administrator Emily Murphy. I'm going to take us back on the acquisition trail for a second, though. One of the things that that you've talked about, and you mentioned it at the top of the show a little bit, is, is the multiple award schedule consolidation. You mentioned also 876. You didn't mention the e-commerce platform initiative, but that doesn't mean it's not important. And obviously, there's a ton of other areas that we could talk to, including some supply chain work. Walk me through some of those big priorities and you know, maybe start with multiple, multiple award schedule. I know that the consolidation is in phase three and there's still a lot more uh, work to be done, but it, it seems to be that to me, it could be your, your biggest legacy. It's one where I'm really proud of the work that Stephanie Shutt and Alan Thomas and Julie Dunn and the team at FAST, they've really done an amazing job. We went, you know, we've been talking about consolidating schedules for years. And from the moment that, that I said go, um, we've now got over 99% of the schedules consolidated. When I was briefed last week, there were fewer than 80 companies that had not accepted the mod for the new consolidated schedule. Now, that doesn't mean that we've completed all the work on it, but I think it was a good um, start with the, you know, there's some companies that have multiple contracts, even they, we're, we're, we're seeing substantial progress in moving them to a single contract. And Stephanie Schutt and her team really worked hard to, at the customer, employee, and the vendor level to make sure this was successful. And I think that they did it by building first on the, in the past where they'd consolidated the professional services schedules, and so the lessons learned there, but also on the initial success we'd had with bringing other direct costs into the schedule so that customers could buy solutions. And I think that the schedules, the, you know, the new unified schedule is really going to make it easier for our vendors and for our customers to buy and sell those solutions that they want. It's also gonna make it easier for our contracting officers because they're gonna be managing uh, you know, a, a more streamlined process. And it takes us into catalog management, which is the next one that you mentioned. Uh, and it's one that I, I may be the one person who gets really excited about catalog management. Uh, but if you think about it, it was, it's one of the number one complaints we have from both our vendors and our customers. It's hard to find things on schedule. Um, and I was talking to the team last week and they referred to me as their secret shopper on the GSA Advantage website because I go in and I try and find things. Uh, and that, they, that they're going to be losing their secret shopper on it. But 
what we've been doing you know, to try and improve catalog management is going to make it easier for both our vendors to upload their catalogs, which right now can take a vendor up to eight hours to upload a large catalog, or to have that down to a matter of minutes. Um, small catalogs will be done in a matter of seconds. We're going to be able to tie those catalogs to what we're calling our verified products portal, which is going to allow manufacturers and wholesalers to upload you know, authoritative information on their products, uh, such as standardized names and descriptions and images and supply chain attributes, so that when someone comes in and wants to compare across product lines, they'll be able to do so, or across vendors, they'll be able to do so really easily. And it's going to improve, you know, frankly, everything from our data storage and uh, on the back end to the very front end where our customers and our suppliers see us first. Or, you know, we're going to be able to provide them with an easier way of accessing GSA and finding the solutions they want rather than hunting around through 24 schedules with, with catalogs that may not, you know, where the same product may be listed different ways on different, different contracts. Uh, and it, so I think it's going to make it all a better system in the long run. I want to just jump in real quick because you mentioned the verified products portal, and I think that's a, it's a mm -hmm. this is a really good news story. The news about, for instance, solar winds, and I'm not asking you to comment on this this news, but does this make the supply chain piece more important than ever? Are you talking to your folks saying, "Let's get the verified products portal up sooner than later. We've got to have it up in in a month and a week." And and you know, it was you know planned for six weeks or six months. Now let's do it in half the time. Does this add a little sense of urgency? Supply chain has been a, a, a theme um, at GSA since I rejoined in 2017. Uh, if you remember 2017, we had Kaspersky, which brought uh, focus on the supply chain. We've since then had um, 889. Um, we've had lots of challenges to the supply chain, and it's, and it's become increasingly important that GSA and all agencies and all of our vendors get our hands around that supply chain issue. We've done everything from the Buy America RoboMod, um, or Made in America RoboMod, which uh, goes through and actually scours the 50 to 60 million products on schedule at any time to make sure that we, we have supply, you know, the, the correct information or that it flags things uh, that could be security risks. We've got the Federal Acquisition Service representing GSA on the Federal Acquisition Security Council now. Uh, that's going through and trying to put the rules in place around this, uh, around supply chain security. We've modified all of our contracts to deal with 889 parts A and B. Uh, so we, we, I, I think that SolarWind does, you know, it, again, brings the focus back to supply chain. But I wouldn't want anyone to think that GSA it has, has been ignoring supply chain for the last three years. It's something that w that's been baked into every level of what we've been doing, both on an external level as to how we support our customers and our contracts, but also internally how we're buying. And we've been continuing to improve those processes internally as well. Let's take a quick break. My guest today is Emily Murphy, the GSA Administrator. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is GSA Administrator Emily Murphy. Emily, I want to go back to something you mentioned. You were talking a little bit about supply chain, but you, there's also other pieces to this effort. 
when we talk about making things easier and, and the catalog updates is, is one of those areas. Walk me through the 876 work, which is really what I thought was one of your biggest goals, maybe not stated in those, one of your biggest goals around increasing competition, which is bringing the competition to the task order level, which a lot of us in the community have been hopefully asking for, calling for over the last several years. Where are you at with that 876, the pilot I know is starting to roll out, but maybe give me some other thoughts behind it beyond the fact that we know it's going to be in uh, Astro and potentially in Polaris. 876 is, there's some things that it's going to be really hard to walk away and say, I did not, didn't finish. Implementation of 876 is one of those because I think it offers so much promise in terms of changing how we spend our, our vendors' time, how we spend our employees' time and how we, do, we drive the development of contracts. I always like to highlight that if you go into GSA Advantage today, you'll find three different levels of carnival worker with three different prices. And that means that there is a contracting officer out there who had to spend time, well, there, first of all, there's a contractor out there who had to spend time coming up with and documenting fair and reasonable prices for carnival workers. And then there was a GSA contracting officer who spent time determining that, yes, indeed, those were fair and reasonable prices for carnival workers. And this is no way dismissive of carnival workers, but the federal government doesn't buy a whole lot of carnival workers. So that was time that could have been used, I think, in a way that would have developed Same thing, we've got stevedores on schedule. And I am not aware of us purchasing the use of uh, services of stevedores in in, in uh, recent times. So I love the idea of driving a services marketplace within that federal marketplace initiative where we go and we look at the quality and the caliber of our contractors. And part of that means looking at you know, our past performance and putting, you know, and finding a way to standardize and really improve how past performance ratings are done across government. Part of that means also then focusing on, you know, how are we going to assess te- technical capability and how do we do so in a way that, uh, you know, that brings new and innovative contractors into our supply chain and into our markets, as well as recognizing the expertise that our established contractors have. And then is there a way to, to then have them bid based on those technical capabilities and then only have you know, ask for pricing once we have a real defined requirement, a task order that we're ready to go out. So we'll, we've found the best, the best contractors at the first level, and then we can, not sure if I'm allowed to say, compete like hell on the federal, you know, at, at the task order level, um, and just really drive those prices down at that point. So I think that, that that's the future of a lot of service contracting. Um, it, it'll, it's a better use of contractors' time, of, of GSA employee time, and frankly, of our customers' time also, because we're giving them a quality service at the best price possible by using really maximizing competition. Astra is our first proof this works, and I know we wanted to be very careful in rolling out, make sure we get it right. And then as you pointed out, Polaris, 
would be our attempt to expand that to a small business GWAC that would have subcategories, hopefully, for women-owned small businesses and hubs-owned small businesses, as well as small businesses themselves. And I think for small businesses in particular, this really gives them a chance to shine on their technical capability um, and their opportunities and, and is much more respectful of their BNP, their limited BNP dollars that they've got. So I, I'm really going to be anxiously watching and cheering from the sidelines as those two projects move forward. So, you know, I can't resist getting on a soapbox for a second because you kind of opened the door for me when you said, if you look at GSA Advantage, you will see, and you know my response is always the same, I can't look at GSA Advantage because it's behind the wall. So I know that there was the eBuy pilot at one point that you all looked at. Give me some thoughts about where, how to add even more transparency to the schedules, to the GWACs, so simpletons like me can see some of the RFIs, the RFPs that come out, the awards that are made. Walk me through some of your thinking about how, how can we move this ball forward. First of all, Jason, if you go to gsaadvantage.gov and you can indeed look up stevedores and carnival workers. So you may not be able to see the, you know, the RFQ, but you can go in and search and see what we're offering. Because I go in and search for it from the public view quite frequently, not from the government view. And I would love to see us have more transparency at the task score level. What we actually, and we ran a pilot program to try out the idea of, and we, we had GSA go first, where we went and we, we had a control of, of contracts where we made the, the RFQs from GSA public. We put them um, on what the time, the old Fed biz ops now, Sam.gov. And what we actually found was on those, we ended up getting less competition. So if you're trading transparency for competition, it becomes a hard, it, 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 that's a hard choice to make, which made us realize that we needed to go back and reconfigure how we were trying to share the transparency and improve transparency. I think that there's still a lot of opportunities to share more data on schedules. And I think that the modernizations that are coming with catalog management uh, will give us more data that we'll be able to share publicly in the future. But, you know, it's, it's an evolving process. And I think that the, uh, the, the new e-tools will help. I think that the ability to, to have catalogs that are you know, uploaded and, you know, and improve our data sharing going forward and reinvest in, in the systems because I, the GSA Advantage of today is better than the GSA Advantage of 2017, but the GSA Advantage still does not rival a commercial platform in terms of if you're trying to go in and find a good or a service and buy it electronically, um, we, we still have work to do. And we still work to make that, that process more transparent and frankly, just more user friendly. I think part of this effort over the last three years that you've really led is, is to make it more user friendly and your customer satisfaction scores have shown it. The amount of sales going through the schedules and the other contracts have shown it. So obviously GSA seems to be on the right path, which actually leads me to maybe our final question of our interview. What do you think GSA looks like in three to five, seven years from now, based on the work you've done, based on the effort you've put out there with your, with your team over the last you know, three years, how does that set GSA up for the future? So I've always seen GSA as sort of a passing of the baton. I benefited from the work that came before me. Denise Turner-Roth created TTS, 
which allowed GSA to launch the Centers of Excellence um, you know, in 2017, which allowed them to become law last, you know, uh, just two weeks ago. And um, was it last week? Uh, it just recently, you know, they were signed into law, Congress passed it and the president signed it uh, into law. So I mean, it's been, an, we build off of each other's success. Casey Coleman and David Shive uh, spent you know, years investing in IT modernization, which allowed GSA to move to a telework posture. Dan Tangerlini and Martha Johnson were uh, very successful in freezing the footprint, which has allowed GSA in the last three years to focus on uh, how do we shrink the footprint and how do we reimagine the workplace of 2030. So I've been able to build on all those successes and more, and this is my chance to sort of pass things on for the future. I think that the schedules and the Federal Acquisition Service are in really good shape. Um, I'd say that the Federal Acquisition Service is financially probably in the best shape it's been in in a, in a long time. And it's also launching, you know, two new GWACs, both uh, SARS-3 is coming and then Polaris. We've got a successful new line of business around small business innovation research contracts. And we've developed a flywheel that allows us to continue to invest in technological improvements uh, by driving more customers and vendors to our schedules, which drives more revenue, which lets us invest in things that makes it easier for customers and vendors and GSA employees, which then makes it easier for those customers and vendors to come to GSA to do, the, to do business there. So hopefully the, that, that'll be a solid legacy for the next administrator to build upon. Similarly, in the public building service, I mentioned earlier that we've saved three and a half billion, almost $3.6 billion in lease cost savings um, and that we're replacing 70% of our leases. However, we're now looking at a workplace 2030 and you know, with GSA looking at going first, where we could have up to 75% of our employees teleworking the majority of the time. And we can then take our success and help other agencies look at what the appropriate solution for them is going to be in the future. And I'll be really eager to see how the next administrator takes that research and takes that opportunity uh, because it brings not, as I said, not just PBS to the table, but also means that having a secure system, having a secure supply chain, making sure we've got the right policies in place, making sure that the right technology is going home with employees uh, or is in the office with them, rethinking what the office of the future looks like. Is, you know, is it more skiffs? Is it more meeting space? Is it more uh, space to meet one-on-one -on -one with with the public or to have large meetings with the public. So thinking through a lot of those options in the future. So, but I think that in each of those cases, GSA is really well positioned to be a leader in, in those spaces. They're financially well positioned, they're technically well positioned, um, and they're reputationally well positioned with, you know, with the relationships that have been, been developed with their customer agencies so that they can you know, take what we've done in the last few years and build on it and build an even greater GSA for tomorrow. All right, last two quick questions for you. Okay. What's next for Emily Murphy? We know you don't, you're, you don't have a new job. I can almost guarantee that. Uh, I know there's probably some vacation, well-deserved vacation in there, but do you expect to stay in the federal community? 
So uh, until January 20th, I am focused on being the administrator. And so, yep, uh, that's been my focus. The next step is indeed a vacation. And then my parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary next year. So I'm looking forward to celebrating that with them. And then I'm going to take some time and really focus on how and where can I make the greatest contribution. Um, I do love the federal space. I've spent the last 25 years in that space, almost 26 years in that space. And I want to find some place where I'm going to be able to make a contribution. And I'll figure that out next. All right. And finally, one piece of advice you'd give to the next GSA administrator, whoever he or she may be. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I could do two pieces I, of advice if that would help okay. too. <laughs> a two pieces of advice. Okay. Again, come in with a framework around what you want to do. The, I'll, I'll actually give you the advice I give to anyone coming into federal space to begin with is focus on three things you want to get done. Now I said, I said that and I came up with four. Make sure you understand that in the private sector, you can do whatever you want to do as long as it's not illegal. In the federal space, you need to make sure you've got the authorization to let you do it. And then remain focused on those goals and, you know, and make sure you've got data and transparency into them. GSA has amazing employees and they will get the work done. Um, but, and you can't, you know, but there's so many things going on that you can't be micromanaging each and every one of them. Uh, so, you know, figure out where you're going to spend your time and energy and, and enjoy it because it's a chance to make a difference unlike any other that I've experienced. And um, I wish them nothing but the best and the greatest success. And your phone line is always open. Just give you a couple of months to uh, decompress. I know that. <laughs> my phone line is always open to that. And I have talked to almost all of my predecessors um, and, you know, over the years because it's, it's a small community and it's a small community, but it's also, you know, GSA isn't, isn't an agency where we, we pull one eighties, um, where you, it, it, our issues tend not to be partisan issues. Everyone's in favor of good government. Everyone's in favor of, you know, of trying to increase competition. Everyone, you know, every, we may have different tactics that we want, but we all are trying to go to the same place. Uh, so it's, you know, th whoever the next administrator is will have my full support as they try to, you know, increase competition, uh, reduce duplication, improve transparency, and provide ethical leadership. I can't imagine that they're going to, any of those things are things that people are going to reject. This has been a fascinating conversation. I love talking to you. I I'm, I'm really appreciate all your uh, generosity, all your time, all your efforts over the last three years. So I will thank you one last time. Emily Murphy is the GSA administrator, at least for another uh, six weeks or so. Emily, thank you as always, and, and obviously good luck in the future, and thank you for your service. Oh, thanks, Jason, and thanks. I mean, we, we, we've been talking to each other for, I want to say, close to 25 years now. So um, I look forward to keep uh, hopefully talking to you in the future as well. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.